Welcome back to Sports Legends of the Carolinas, and thank you for subscribing. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, and on this podcast, we speak with some of my favorite sports icons from the region I've covered for almost 30 years. Uh, so there, there are times when something I've said is over the top, but it's usually tone. And, uh, and, and uh, that's something I've been very mindful of over the years is to make sure that I say the right thing at the right time in the right tone. I think there have been times where I, I've said the right thing at the right time and maybe my tone wasn't what it should have been because um, there's going to be controversies. Thanks again for supporting this work. Here's the rest of our conversation. You, uh, this is totally different uh, subject, but to back up to acting, um, tell me about Jay Billis, the actor. I know you did, I think you were an extra in A White Shadow, or maybe you had lines, I don't know. And then uh, famously in the movie I Come in Peace, where the headline in the L.A. Times, I think you once said, was I come in peace should go away was <laughs> part of the review. Yeah, critics. What do you do with critics? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm sure it was sure it was should have been an Oscar winner. But tell me about your your brief acting career. Well, similar to my mom, you know, encouraging me to do things that I didn't want to do um, when I when she pushed me into these forensics classes, I had a teacher named Billy Kramer. And he, he may have been the best coach I've ever had uh, in anything, but uh, I traveled around doing all these forensics competitions. What is Mr. forensics Kramer. in this? I'm it's thinking of forensic science. Yeah, but... speech and debate. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, and this is in California. In California, where you grew Los up. Angeles. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, on weekends, we would travel around to different colleges in Southern California and you'd compete against other high school students. There were, was, uh, you know, extemporaneous speaking categories, all these different things where they would give you a topic. Uh, sometimes you would have five minutes to come up with something. Other times you would just have to do it impromptu right mm. away. And that was what it was called, impromptu speaking. So I had to stand up in front of a panel of judges and give give these speeches and, and compete. So when, when people say, do you ever get nervous on television? Not after that. Not that after doing sounds that. hard. Yeah. It was hard. And yeah. it was not always fun. Uh, but it was, I mean, I took pride in it. So when, oddly enough, when I went to uh, to high school, uh, Mr. Kramer became a high school teacher at my high school, and he was the drama teacher, taught forensics as well. So I took his courses, and, and he came to me and said, you are going to act in the school play my senior year. And I said, I don't really want to do that. Uh, you know, one, I mean, I don't know. I'll get the, he, he said, you're, you're going you're gonna to be the lead in this play. And I said, I don't, you know, I don't, if I try out for it, I don't know. I'll get it. And he goes, you'll get it. I'm in charge of it. <laughs> Uh, so I, I was the lead in, in a play called Watch on the Rhine. College coaches came to see it. Wow. That were recruiting me. Uh, okay, yeah. And sure. it, was, it actually won awards. And I, I won an award. Uh, I, was, uh, I won the Best Actor Award, the Bank of America Best Actor Award. I don't know what it was, you know. Mm, like the Bloomies in Charlotte I or guess. something, maybe. Um, yeah. Wait, it, this was like a serious play, a drama? It was a serious play. Mm. It, it, Lillian Hellman wrote it, and it was probably way over our level. Uh, but, it, you know, the, the rehearsals were pretty brutal and difficult. And, um, and it was a difficult piece, I think, for a bunch of 8-, 17-year-old kids to do. Uh, but through that... Um, you know, it was the first experience I had had really acting, and uh, and I enjoyed it. Uh, the White Shadow you're talking about was it was before that. I was a 
sophomore, maybe in high school. And uh, one of my teammates, uh, Matt Baker, his father, Dick Baker, was a former college basketball coach at Loyola. And he was a technical consultant for the show. And, uh, and so he got us on the show as an opposing team. And back then, The White Shadow was like one of the hottest shows on oh, television. Yeah. yeah, it was big. And so, you know, I was, uh, I was like playing the best player on the opposing team that one of the Carver players had transferred to. And, uh, and so that was really cool yeah. and really fun. But when I graduated college, I was playing pro ball overseas. And I got a phone call from uh, the PR guy from the Lakers saying, hey, um, there's a Minolta camera commercial shooting and they're looking for you know, six, eight basketball players to be in this commercial. I thought of you, uh, would you be interested? And somehow my tiny brain thought, Hey, you know, I, I must be in it for this. So I went to, um, I went to the audition and there were about 60 guys there looked exactly like me. I'm like, <laughs> I got no shit. This is ridiculous. I got no shot of this. So I, I did the audition and then I got a call back. And so did another audition. I wound up getting the part and at, when we were filming it and that commercial aired for like three years, huh. Minolta, uh, okay, Minolta yeah. camera. Uh, I wanted to play one on one with a little kid in the, in the thing. There's finally a little guy that does everything. The big guys do introducing Minolta's Maxim 3000 I the first easy little camera that does it all with only from the mind. So while we were shooting, one of the camera operators uh, struck up a conversation with him, and he was a basketball fan and seen me play, and said, uh, "and said who's your agent?" And I said, "Well, my agent's Larry Fleischer." Uh, he said, "Larry Fleischer? I've never heard of him." And I said, "Yeah, well, he's got Magic Johnson, some of these other guys." No, no, no. Who's your theatrical agent? I go, "I don't have a theatrical agent." And he goes, "Well, you need one because you can make a lot of money doing commercials, and you can get into the union because you've already worked." So, you know, he told me about the Taft-Hartley Act and I can get in the union. You'll get an agent in no time. Uh, and he was right. I went out and got an agent uh, and uh, and I started doing more commercial work. I was in a Budweiser ad, some other thing and, and uh, some print stuff. And my agent called me one day and said, have you ever done any acting? And I said, well, you know, what have you Lillian seen this watch commercial? On the, well, I played Kurt Mueller in uh and uh, Bank of America, best actor. And I told him, no, I was in the school play. I don't think that really counts. And he says, well, let me send you on this audition and see if you like the process. And if you like it, I'll send you on more. So he sent me this on this audition for, um, for this uh, movie with Dolph Lundgren called, uh, it was called Dark Angel at the time. And there was another movie called Dark Man coming out. So they changed the title later. But I read for it and uh, got a call back, read for it again, then got another call back. And the third callback, I was in an office with uh, the producer, director, some other people. And after I finished the read, uh, they asked me to sit down. I sat down. One of the people left the room. And so we just made small talk and they were asking me questions about my basketball playing and some other things. And then the person who left came back in, gave a thumbs up. And, uh, and the guy goes, great, we got a deal. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You got the part. Got a deal. We just were on the phone with your agent. We uh, we have we have a contract. We're, we're, you have the part. I'm like what? <laughs> and I had no idea because they give you they don't give you the whole script. They they're they're called sides. So you get something to read and that's it. So I didn't even know what the movie was really about. Hmm. And it turns out I was playing an alien. I was one of the top you know top roles. I was playing an alien cop 
uh, in this picture. And I had to shoot a gun that fire came out of. And I wound up dying in the back of the car. They had to make a mold of my head because my head exploded, which meant, meant there was no sequel for me. Oh, man. He's bleeding. Who are you? An officer of the law. Like you. Oh, he speaks English, huh? Stop him. Promise me. I promise. I got it, I got it. Nothing left of him, man. Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Uh, it was really a crazy crazy deal but uh but a Were ton you a good of fun. guy or bad guy i was a good guy good guy. ultimately an i was a good guy yeah good i was chasing guy. an alien drug dealer from uh, our planet uh, who was down here harvesting uh endorphins from humans oh, okay uh, and uh to take so you're on and, dolph lundgren's side I yeah suppose, yeah dolph and brian ben ben yeah yes. yeah it was really a good good deal for me we're almost done here jay i i wanted to ask you just a couple more things and that one is um what is the one thing or one incident you've ever had or said on air that in retrospect you regret? One thing I've said that I regret. Or something that happened that maybe you were part of. I don't know what it would be. I really can't think of anything that I regret because most of the things, you know, I think my job is to say the right thing at the right time in the right tone. I think there have been times where I, I've said the right thing at the right time, and maybe my tone wasn't what it should have been. So you can be, you know, say, especially the NBA draft, you could say something about a player that perhaps your, your tone wasn't right and people thought it sounded angry or accusatory or something like that, that if a player can't, mm. you, know, you don't think a player does this particularly well or that particularly mm -hmm. well, because most of the stuff is positive about a player. Uh, I think I'd probably be... If I went back uh, and looked when Josh Smith got drafted, um, I had, after stating all of his positives, I stated some of, of the things that weren't as positive. And I don't think my tone was right. You know, I went back and looked at it and I thought I could have said that better. And I did a better job later on as a result of that. So I can't say I regret it because it was helpful to me. You just um, learned. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, I did. It was a great learning experience. And... You know, the draft is an interesting animal because you know, if you get up there and you just throw roses at, at everyone's feet, nobody wants to hear that. Uh, there, there was a player drafted years ago that got drafted number eight. And I, I said immediately, he, he can't play in the NBA. Like, this, this is not going to work. Who was that? Rafael Arujo and from BYU. And I was pretty strong on it. And looking back, I probably could have been a little little better about it, but I, that's the way I felt. And his his coach uh, his coach kind of blasted me in the media, and I, I called him afterwards to make sure, like, we're okay, right? I didn't have any problem with him blasting me because uh, you know I I can one I can take it, and two, um, you know, if you dish it out, you better be able to take it. But but people get to say whatever they want. I don't have any problem with that. So I called to make sure, like, we're okay, right? And uh, and he basically told me, he goes, no, you're right. I just had to stand up for my guy, you know, that kind of thing, and which I totally understood. I had zero problem with all of it. But I think those kind of things make you uh, think about, OK, what's the best way to state that uh, without bringing negatives into it, if that makes sense? Um, you know, th there's a proper way to do everything. 
and you're not going to have any job and do or say the right thing all the time. Uh, I get that part. Uh, so there, there are times when something I've said is over the top, but it's usually tone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I, that's something I've been very mindful of over the years is to make sure that I say the right thing at the right time in the right tone. Because um, w- there's going to be controversies, whether it's, you know, a few years ago, uh, we dealt with uh, the Grayson Allen thing. And right. there was so much. As you and Coach K for a while had a falling out, right? Because it wasn't a falling out, but we, okay. we, we had discussions over yeah. it. But there was so much volume of coverage of it. One, because it was a high-profile program, high-profile player. Uh, and sometimes when, when it's covered so much, um, I think you have to be mindful of other things that are said and how much of it to make sure that, that your tone is right. And, uh, that you, you know, you only have a certain amount of time to spit these things out and how do you do that and make it effective, uh, to make sure that what you say is the right thing. And and you have other times where you're on, on set and I've learned this over the years when four people are sitting on set and one of them says something, if the others don't answer it, it's imputed to everyone. And, and that happens sometimes too, where you want to be respectful of your colleagues that are stating their opinion. But if it's opinion you differ with, you have to make sure that you voice your your opposition respectfully to make sure that people don't think by being silent you're in total agreement. Uh, so sometimes those things are pinned to you that, that sometimes what you don't say yeah. um, can be people can pin on you too. Like you're acquiescing. Or yeah, but you, I guess. Yeah. but over the course of, uh, over the course of a year, over the course of, the, of a career, you're going to get to say what you want on just about any subject. So, you know, you could point to something else and say, no, but I said it here. You know, like I may not have said it there, but I said it here. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. So I, you have to, you deal with the good and the bad. As a player, the most difficult player you ever guarded was who? Brad Doherty. Ralph Sampson was a, a mismatch for everybody. Um, so my first ACC game, I had to guard Ralph Sampson. He scored 36 points, and I was devastated. I thought, I, I suck. I, I need to find something else to do. And then two weeks later, he scored 40 on Clark Kellogg and Herb Williams. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I don't suck as bad as I thought. Um, but Brad Doherty was impossible to, to guard because he was so big, so skilled. He could turn around and shoot over you. Um, uh, he had power, finesse. Uh, he was a, just a great player. 20 to 16, the Tar Heels lead by four. The inside play in this basketball game is very physical. Jay Billis really got one in the nose from Brad Doherty the last trip down the court. They're at it again inside, and there's Brad Doherty turning and getting the shot. He was double teamed by Anderson and Billis and fouled. He was, he was a challenge that was really difficult. And their screening action, you know, those little cross screens they ran underneath, you know, they had two seven-footers. It was really hard to deal with, but but I'd say he was the the one going into the game. You're going, this is going to be this is going to be a bear. I better be prepared for this. Because you always played the five, basically. I play, yeah, I played. You the were five. a little bit of an undersized five. A yeah. lot of an undersized five. <laughs> undersized, under athletic, under jumping, under <laughs> under everything. Uh, so I, there was it, it was pretty rare in, in in any game that I could look eye to eye with who I was guarding. Um, but that was the way it was. That's why I had to get so much bigger and stronger after two years of that. I, I had to get in the weight room and kind of transform my body to be able to bang around with guys that were that much bigger. Uh, so, Jay, we'll end up with this one. Just, I'm sure you're asked by many aspiring sports 
broadcasters, college students, whatever. I'd love to do what you do, Jay. Tell me how I can do it. Uh, what sort of advice would you give to young people who want to break into a very tough business? Well, one, I never dissuade anyone from trying to get into broadcasting. Uh, you'll hear a lot of people like you and me say, well, it's ultra competitive. It's really difficult, uh, tough to get an opportunity. What good is not competitive? You know, anything good is going to be competitive. And, and broadcasting is a great, I think great, not just good. So I, I encourage them to, to go for it and not to, not to worry about, you know, the difficulties or obstacles or barriers that there may be. But there are more opportunities than ever to get yourself out there. I always tell college students, you know, you, you have broadcast opportunities on your campus, whether student-run operations, the uh, conference networks that seem to be on every big con uh, uh, conference school now, but also, you know, ESPN, CBS, uh, ABC, whomever, they're, they're on campus doing games all the time. Go by the trucks and say, hey, do you need anybody? And, and try to introduce yourself. They may not need you that time, but maybe they'll need you the next time and do work as a production assistant, um, offer yourself up and get to meet people and show you're capable. And if you're capable of doing a PA job, you know, you, you'll meet people, you'll find other opportunities and work your way up. But I, I also, to, and, and there are opportunities to have podcasts, YouTube, put their own content out there. And in, in creating content, you're gonna learn a lot. Whether anybody sees it or not, you're gonna build a body of work, you're gonna get better, you're gonna find, uh, ways to improve and, and ways to be more effective. Um, and, you know, even for a, a college student now, what stops them from, you know, going to their football press conferences, their basketball press conferences from, uh, you know, doing something creative with players that they know after a practice that they can put out on YouTube or Instagram, things like that. There's, there's no reason somebody couldn't do their own kind of 94 feet thing on their own campus and put it out there. The fact that it's not a question of how many eyeballs are on, it's a question of did you do it and was it good? Um, but the other thing I, I bring up to them all the time, I used to watch this show called Inside the Actor's Studio. Did you ever watch that? Oh yeah, was that Lipton guy? James Lipton. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so, you know, Saturday Night Live made fun of it. I mean, it was a really, really good show and it was entertaining, uh, but, but I also would take things from it. And one time, one show, Alec Baldwin was the, the, the former student that was the guest. Tonight's guest has become one of the most highly regarded actors of his generation. Rumor has it that you have some brothers. I have three brothers. I have three brothers. Their names? Uh, my brother uh, Daniel, my brother Billy, my brother Stephen. And you remember at the end of the show, they would always, James Lipson would present uh, Alec Baldwin to the class and they would ask questions. That mm. was the way the show would end. And someone asked, Alec Baldwin stood up and said, hi, my name is Joe Blow. I'm a third year acting student. And I was wondering your opinion, whether I should go to New York or Los Angeles to start my acting career. And Baldwin said something really profound in his response. He, he, he basically said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you want to be an actor or do you want to be a famous actor? Because if you want to be an actor, you can act anywhere. You can act in local theater, summer style, you named all these acting things. And uh, so, but if you want to be a famous actor, that's different. If you want to be famous on screen, you need to go to, you need to go to Hollywood. If you want to be famous on stage, you need to go to New York and go to Broadway. And I really thought about that. I thought, geez, you know, that's profound that, you know, when, when I was, I, I, maybe I was never happier in my broadcast career 
uh, I'm really happy now, but I, I'm no happier than I was when I was doing the Duke basketball games. I was making 200 bucks a game. And 200 a all game. Over. I made 200 bucks a oh game. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. uh, uh, But I was happy as hell. Yeah. And not that many people heard me. It wasn't the same platform as ESPN, uh, but it was really fun. And the job was no different. The prep work was no different. The, the conduct of the job was no different. It was just a different different platform. And, and I think about that a lot. When I first started with ESPN, I wasn't doing the Duke Carolina game. You know, my first game was Hampton at the Citadel. And, uh, but I treated that game like it was a Super Bowl. And it was the same, same broadcast that I do with Duke Carolina. It's just a question of how many eyeballs are on it. So for me, if you really love the job and love basketball or whatever you're broadcasting and, and love doing it, what difference to make whether you're you're the the voice of the Charlotte 49ers or you're the voice of the Charlotte Hornets? Um, it, it's just a question of of how you know how many people see it and maybe a question of fame. Um, but if you're in this for or in anything just for the end result uh, of of you know how many people may know who you are or something like that or what games you get to do, um, that's why I'm I'm really grateful. I think for what I do now. And I, I, I take a lot of time to appreciate it. You know, when I was first starting, I would have run somebody over to do the games I get to do now. And so when I walk into these arenas now, I, I don't look at it as being routine. I, I really think about, man, this is what I've always wanted to do. And so I'm, I try to take that. You're not blase about it. No, you're not like, Oh man, I got to no. get on another plane. No, I'm appreciative. And you know, the venues I'm at, I try to soak it in. I still do the job, but you try to soak it in and, you know, remind yourself that this is what I said I wanted. And, um, uh, you know, I think when I, when you first start, just like, I'm sure it's the same for you. You know, you were so excited to cover, you know, you, you first few years the, oh, the yeah. events you got to cover you know, oh you're yeah so the first thrilled. final four I ever did i still remember yeah, yeah you 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 never forget that so maybe the it's not a trick but maybe the the perspective is to you know make sure that you remind yourself that this is pretty cool and i i i really wanted this and i love this it is not it is not routine um, you know, so you can't, you can't take it for granted. So I talked to him about that too, that, you know, some of the best broadcasters in the world do local, some of the best in the world and same thing in coaching. You know, now if you're, if your perspective is, you know, I want to do what, like, I want to be the head coach at Duke. Well, you can have the same relationships. A high school coach has the same relationships, the same uh, character building, um, the same job satisfaction as Coach K does. Not as many people see the games. So, you know, it, it's really a question of your perspective. And You, you can to, do good work anywhere. Yeah, you really like, can. Yeah. And, and, you know, back to the go for it point. So when I was, uh, I grew up with a, a guy named Vince DiFiore. We were best friends growing up. And he was a cross-country runner and a, a really good musician and a great student all that stuff and um i remember getting when i was when i first took a job with espn he called me and said uh hey i wanted to talk to you he says he was a practicing psychologist and he said i got a i think i have an opportunity to leave my practice and join a rock band 
And I, I just wanted to see what you thought of that. And his parents were both educators. Dad was a principal, mom was a teacher. And I brought up the point that what our parents had told us, you know, get your education, you'll always have that to fall back on. I go, if, if you take this thing and, and it doesn't work out for you, you can always hang your shingle back out and go start your practice up again. And, and he joined a band called Cake. Cake? And oh, yeah. And he never, turned, never looked back. I mean, they're still rolling. Yeah. You, know, you can hear their music everywhere. And uh, I've been to their concerts and... Uh, we're still really good friends, no, but I mean, great. you know, yeah. it's that kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you tell young people and I have, a, I actually have a meeting today with a, a young person who wants to get into this. Um, you know, I'm going to be encouraging because so many of us are like, well, it's a tough business. Yeah. yeah you got to think twice about it. You might yeah. want to think about something else. A lot of disappointment. There's a lot of disappointment in everything. You know, do what you want to do. If you knock on enough doors and they get slammed in your face, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out to do something else. But if this is what you want to do. You know, you'll, you'll never look back and regret trying. I don't, I don't think. I, that's my belief. Well, thank you, Jay. And thank you for letting us. Uh, if you've heard birds in the background, we're on Jay Billis's back porch in Charlotte. And it's uh, been a wonderful conversation. And thank you for being part of this episode of Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Those birds chirping are on, uh, on my stereo system. That's, all that's fake. Soundtrack. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's our final secret. All right. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Thank you again for subscribing and supporting local journalism. Next. Hi, I'm Charlotte Smith, head coach of Elon University, and I'm the next guest on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. This show is produced by Jeff Siner and Kata Stevens, and the director of audio at McClatchy is Davin Coburn. For lots more content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends and consider a digital subscription. Connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or by email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next week.